One time, when I was younger and I had money and I wasn't married and I didn't have children and I had money to spend on concert tickets, I used to go regularly as a young man, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And there was a venue in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm from called the Omni. It's since been torn down, but it was a cool place to go see a show. And so I went to this show, probably none of you have ever heard of this band, but I went to see this band called Triumph, okay? You familiar with Triumph? A couple of us. All right, all right. Okay, so Triumph were what in rock and roll circles is called a, uh, a power trio, which means there's three people playing, a drummer, bass player, guitar player, and then everybody sings, that kind of thing, all right? So the challenge with power trios is that they have to make as much music as humanly possible. There's no keyboards, there's none of this kind of stuff. Well, Triumph was a good band, but everybody knew even back then that the world's greatest power trio was a band called Rush, all right? So Rush is still around. Triumph has long since gone the way of the dodo bird. But Rush is still around. But back then, when Rush wasn't on tour and you needed to get your power trio fix on, you would go see Triumph. So between Rush, and if anybody from Triumph is watching this webcast, I'm very sorry, all right? But, uh, so you would go see Triumph. Well, one day, we, I was at a Triumph show, and it's right before Triumph comes on, so the arena gets full of people, you know. There's maybe 10,000, 12,000 people in there, and it's getting pretty full because the show's about to start. And they had this thing called pre-show music, you know, where they play like, an, well, now they would play an iPod or something, kind of like we do here at K2. You walk in, there's music playing, and then the band comes on. Everybody with me? Okay. So they had pre-show music, and then all of a sudden, as part of their pre-show music... You hear this very familiar song crank up. A modern day warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. Which is a Rush song. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I don't know if the, one of the tricks that, that rock and roll people do is, that, is if you're the headlining band. Let's say I'm Triumph then I'm paying the sound guy, right? So I tell them in the pre-show music, you keep it really soft, right? So that when we come out, we sound really big and amazing, right? Well, I don't know if the, if the sound man was quitting or whatever, but he happened, to, he happened to crank up the rush, okay? Now, remember, I told you the world's greatest power trio is who? And the second world's greatest power trio is who? Okay, so Triumph is second best, and everybody there to see Triumph dang well knows it, right? And so when Tom Sawyer cranked up and the sound man was a little, he's a little randy and he turned it up a little too loud, the whole place, <sighs> everybody knew. So then Triumph comes on. It's kind of like, me, 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 me. Now, see, i got to let you know, when I was in rock star school, see, I went to school for this stuff. I'm very well equipped, all right? And, and, and what actually happened that day at that Triumph concert is they actually broke one of the top two rules of being a rock star, okay? And that is, if you happen to be this kind of band, the me, me, me kind of band, you don't play da 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 you don't do that because when you come out you're me 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 and everyone's kind of let down makes sense right this happened to me in the waiting 
We uh, played a number of shows. You guys have never heard of this band, probably, but a band called Bride. And Bride was, was fronted by this huge, massive guy. I mean, he had on, and he was, ah! He's like, it was an Axl Rose kind of a thing. He, ah! Right? Now, we sold more records than Bride, I'm very proud to say. And by every, uh, every other account, well, Bride should open for us. Problem is, I knew that compared to Bride, we were me, me, me. So he would come out, ha! And then we'd come out, hey, how you doing? Me, me, me. Right? So I refused to break that rule. So whenever we met up with Bride, we always played first. Because you don't want to be a me, me, me. After a huge, huge rock band. Now why am I telling you this? There's a great life lesson here. We read about it in John. John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest man that ever lived. He's the greatest. Knew that next to Jesus, he was And so John would say things like, hey, Jesus, he has to increase. I have to decrease. He's greater than me because he existed before I ever existed. Now, why am I telling you that? Well, today's about defining moments. Moments in our lives that make a real difference, a fork in the road. A moment where based on your decision in that moment, it defines or helps to define who you are. Many of us have many of them in our lives. Well, this, for John the Baptist, was one of those defining moments. How he would respond when Jesus came on the scene was going to make the difference. Was going to help define him. And I look back on some of the defining moments in my life, one of which I'm going to talk about today. And they're very, very crucial. How you respond to life's defining moments makes all the difference. So, I'm going to dig into one of mine, one of my defining moments. And it came as I was studying this very passage I started to read to you today. I want you, if you would, open your Bibles, if you have them, John chapter 1 where we just were, but instead of starting in verse 1, I want to start in verse 35. The next day, so John has this conversation with the Jewish leaders, and then the next day he sees Jesus, and then the next day he sees him again. So here we are, we're in that second sighting there, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up, I was uh, 20-something years old, and I was studying this passage. And I came to this verse 35, and I read down through 39. It doesn't seem like that big a deal. It's not a real difficult theological passage. It doesn't really have a lot to dig into. But as I read that passage, something hit me. 
And it's a truth I want to share with you today, and it's something you need to remember. If you forget everything else that I say today, remember this. I believe there's a difference between a Christian and what the Bible calls a disciple. I believe there's a difference, to put it in my own language, between a Christian and a real Christian. The reason why I say that is as I'm looking at this tiny little example, John's there, he sees Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God. And two of John's disciples then leave him. This would be one of their defining moments. And they begin to follow Jesus. And they ask an important question. They say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? All right, so let me go ahead and illustrate. This is just my theory. The difference between a Christian and a real Christian. The difference between what we would call a Christian or what the Bible calls a disciple. Most people, those of you who are not Christ followers in the, in the room this morning, this is how it is for Christians, okay? Most Christians, they come to a place in their life where they recognize that Jesus died for all their mistakes. They want to accept that sacrifice, so they give Jesus their life. Many of us in the room have had this experience. And then, for most Christians, they spend the rest of their life trying to get Jesus in on what they're doing. Jesus, I give you my life. I accept your sacrifice. Now, come to me. I have this over here. I need you to come in here and invade this. I have this situation going on over here in this program, and I need your wisdom, and I need your guidance, and I need your strength. Come here and get involved in my life. But... We read about two disciples here. Now, I'm going to show you the difference. When the, disciple, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? Okay, important point right there. What do you want? Before I get into this whole disciple Christian thing, this is a question for you this morning. You don't have to answer. But when you look at your life, when I look at mine, what do we want? And I'm not talking about, you know, I want, I want a house and 2.5 kids and, and I want, you know, the last pudding pop in the freezer or anything like that. I'm saying, when you look at life, your life and my life, what do we really want? What do you really want out of life? Well, I would say, if we were honest, we would say, oh, I got a list, <laughs> How many on a list? Raise your hand. I'll be honest. I got a list of stuff I want. Okay, so you break the, break the list down for me. Well, I'd like to lose 20 pounds. In my case, I'd like to lose 30. I saw some old pictures of me the other day, and I used to be so hot, man. <laughs> I mean, cooking hot, right? I'd like to get back there. I really would. Well, I need, I need to lose 30. What do I want? I want to lose 30 pounds. Okay, what do I want? Well, I want a little more money. That's a reasonable request, right? I want mm, a little more rewarding career, maybe. Not me personally. I'm just thinking of you, right? Right? (laughs) Got a bridge to sell you, right? All right, what do I want? But what do we really, when you boil all that stuff down, all the stuff we want, what do we really want? And we and leave aside Christian talk. Let's just 
Put that aside for a second. Leave aside the right answers that we Christ followers in here understand. Well, I'm supposed to say I want Jesus. Okay, just, what do we really want? I want to be happy. I think if you ask most people, boil down, get get past all the lists that we make, get past the right answers we know we're supposed to say, what do we really want? want most people would say i want to be happy and i feel like when jesus is asking these guys what do you want this is jesus he's the lamb of god so i feel like he's really asking okay what are you really after at least i can take this passage and i could say this is what jesus is asking us today what are you really after i want to be happy And by happy, I don't mean, yeah, I I got the last pudding pop. My circumstances are better now. No. I mean, I want to be happy regardless of circumstances. I want to feel like I really made a difference in this world. I really made a mark. Am I the only one? Y'all are looking at me all weird. Can someone relate to me, please? Anyone? Okay, thank you. We want that. But we have a clue in this passage how we can get that. You know, Jesus actually shows us right here. The word of God actually shows us how we can get that. And that gets me back to my difference between a Christian and a real Christian. Between what we would call a Christian today and how most of us are and a disciple. So I said a Christian tries to get God in, gives their life to Christ... Gets their sins forgiven. Is going to heaven when they die. That's a Christian. But a disciple. Now a disciple gives their life to Christ. Has their sins forgiven. Is going to heaven when they die. Just like a Christian. But the difference is. A disciple then spends their time, energy, resources. Not trying to get Jesus in on their program but trying to see what is Jesus doing? What's Jesus' program? And how can I follow him in that? You see, because it says right here, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you living? Where are you, where are you uh, if you dig into this word here, it actually means what are you standing on? And I think that's the word for us today. When you think about your life and your worldview and all your belief systems and all that kind of stuff, what is the belief that you'll stand or fall on? What are you standing on? And that's what they asked Jesus. Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you living? What are you up to? And Jesus says a very interesting answer. He says, come and you will see. I love that about Jesus, man. Anybody else, you ask them that question, where do you live? They just tell you, this is where I live. I live over in, I live Sandy. I live over in South Jordan. Is that, is that over? Over in South Jordan. I live in Draper. Or Jesus could have easily said when they asked him, where are you staying? Rabbi, which means teacher. And they didn't even know the half of it, right? Where are you staying? He could have said, well, you know, okay. So you go down this road, you turn left on 
Bethany Way, and you go down about, you know, half a mile or so, and I'm the second apartment complex on the left, and I'm on the third floor, 34C, you know that place, the one with the swimming pool, that's where I am, right? But he doesn't say that, he doesn't even tell him, he says, come and you will see. Now, that brings me back, remember, I'm trying to tell you today, there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple, And these guys were becoming disciples. Where are you staying? We want to go there. Don't come where we're staying. We want to go where you're staying. But he doesn't doesn't tell them. He just says, come and I'll show you. Now, I told you what we really want is to be happy. And right here is the clue. This is how we get happy. Christians begin to think like disciples and say, I'm so, so tired of trying to get Jesus in on my program. I want to get in on his program. I want to live where he's living. I want to stay where he's staying. So Jesus says to them, come and you'll see. Now, they didn't know Jesus from Adam's house cat. They knew what John said, but they didn't even quite understand. You know how I know? Because they called him rabbi, teacher, which is a nice way of saying we're we're not quite sure you're the Messiah, but we know you're probably a good teacher. Do we hear that today at all? Well, Jesus is a really good teacher, a great moral leader. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, baby. You don't know the half of it. And they didn't know either. So Jesus could have, he could have said, come and you'll see. So they're following him. He could have ducked into an alley, snatched him up, grabbed their wallet. They never would have known. So what does it take to be not a Christian but a disciple? To be not trying to get God in on our program, but to actually try to get in on his program? I would say it takes some nerve, wouldn't you? Take some courage. He doesn't tell them where he lives. He doesn't tell them the next corner. Follow me. You know what? I'm going to be real honest with you. And forgive me if this sounds blasphemous, but I hate that about God. I hate it. He gives me this much to see. And when I step out into it, then I see a little more. That is not the way I'm wired, baby. (laughs) Can't you just give me the whole plan? Can't you just lay it out for me? But it takes courage if you're going to be a disciple. And it doesn't matter who you are. I used to think it takes education to be a disciple. If I'm going to be a real man of God, I've got to get educated. I've got to know, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, it doesn't. I used to think it took a reasonable understanding of the culture to be a real disciple. You know, you've got to understand the culture. You've got to get out there. You've got to talk people's language. You've got you to understand. No, uh no, no. Actually, all it takes is courage. I'm not going to turn there. There's this little passage in Acts where uh, uh, John and Peter, they they actually pray for this guy. Or actually, they don't even pray. There's this crippled guy, and he he can't walk, and he's a beggar. And they say, and he asks them for money. And Peter says, I don't have any money on me, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the guy stands up. (laughs) 
He gets healed. He walks. Well, this makes a huge noise in the community. Big brouhaha, right? And it gets Peter and John in trouble. And so they, they snatch Peter and John up and they bring them before all the leaders of the day, all the educated people, all the people who really understood the culture. And they, and they say, explain the, in the, by whose authority, in what name are you doing this? And he said, oh, in the name of Jesus, who, by the way, you crucified. <laughs> that's, some, that's some guts. Looks them right now. Yeah, you did it. You're the killers. And the scripture says something so amazing. It says, when those leaders saw the courage of Peter and John, the courage of Peter and John, and also notice that they were normal, unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that those men had been with Jesus. So apparently, you can apparently be a fisherman with a bad temper and be a disciple. Because it takes courage. Apparently, you can just be a young man who, who, you know, ran naked in a garden once and just have courage and you can be a disciple. Apparently, you can be any age you want, any background you want, any education you want. I experienced this firsthand back in Georgia a number of years ago. I was 30-something years old, and I had been pastoring for a while. And uh, there was this kid. I don't want to say kid because he's a college student, 21 years old, something like that. And he went to a community college, much like Slick, but it's in Georgia. And this was right about the time that the movie The Passion came out. And so he was very moved by that movie. So, so what he did was he went to the administration at the, at the school and he, he got permission to do this sort of uh, dramatic presentation, I think is how he worded it. And they gave him permission. So what he did is his mom was a makeup artist and she made him up all like Jesus, all gashed up and fake blood everywhere and crown of thorns and loincloth. And he got a, a cross, and he got a buddy of his to dress up like a Roman soldier. And to carry a sign, it said, Behold, the love of God. And this kid, this college kid, put the cross on his shoulder and starts pacing around the campus and singing. You guys, uh, some of you church people, do you remember the song, Lamb of God, Twilight Paris? Anybody? All right. He starts singing, Oh, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God. I love, and he had a great voice, much better than I'm singing. He had one of these booming voices. I love thee, oh, Lamb of God. And he's just pacing around the campus. You cannot believe what happened. Now, I just went there to kind of support him, and I was feeling a little queasy because I'd been a pastor for a while, and I had some education, and I knew that, you know, he, a guy walking around with a cross and a Roman soldier with a sign that said, Behold the love of God, just from, from, my, from what I knew about, was a little spinal tapish for me, if you know what I mean. It, was a little, a little ho- it seemed a little hokey to me. You wouldn't believe what happened. Guy walks around that campus. He's just singing louder and louder. Students walk out of the building 
and they're watching him. Pretty soon, must have been at least 200 people in this courtyard area, and they were stunned. Stunned silence. Now, for me, in my education, and this is not the best way to reach people, and you might offend people, and the blood, and the guts, and the, and the hey, hey, hey. I was a little queasy about it. Yeah. They were stunned and silent. I never gathered that crowd to me like that ever. Now, here's the thing, though. This crowd is gathered. This is just a college kid. Sorry. He's a college student. And he just stands there and everyone's silent and I could feel God going open your mouth open your mouth speak because the attention was there now I've been a pastor I could do that I could present the gospel I, I could no no didn't have the courage man I just Now, that kid, he didn't have the know-how. He just went, God loves (laughs) y'all. That was his gospel presentation. God loves y'all. Didn't take education. Doesn't take know-how. It takes courage to be a disciple. It takes, excuse my language, it takes stones to follow Jesus, where he is, and stay where he's staying. Let me finish up here. Verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Now, this college kid I told you about, he had a dad. Uh, His dad's name was Larry, and he was a pastor type. And I knew him well, and he was a brilliant man. He's since gone on to, to be with Jesus, but he was a brilliant, brilliant man. And I was part of a Bible school, a little bitty Bible school. And one night, Larry, this college kid's father, was speaking at the Bible school, and he was talking about what we in the church would call discipleship, being a disciple, what it means to actually follow Christ. And he's just going through his texts and stuff, and it's all kind of dry and everything, and then he just sort of puts it all aside, and he just begins to speak from his heart. And he's talking about the difference, and he's saying, quit trying to get God in on your program. Find out what he's doing, and you go get in on it. Now, here's my defining moment, okay? My heart is just, as he's talking, I could feel it. And it ended up being the very finest teaching I've ever heard anywhere. And at the end, at this little Bible school, there was maybe 50 students there. We, we used to get up at the end of class and we used to hold hands. Anybody grew up in church, you know, you go to pray at the end and you'd hold hands, right? And, and we'd pray. And I started praying, and you're going to think I'm weird, and I'm sorry. I felt 
as if God was speaking to me. And he asked me the very same question that Jesus asked these guys. What do you want? I said, Jesus, I want to be a disciple. And I, again, you're going to think I'm weird, but I promise you I'm telling the truth, okay? It was almost like in that very moment, Jesus leaned in toward me where I got a good look at him. Not with these eyes, but right in my, in my gut and said, are you sure? And I have never experienced the presence of Christ as I did in that moment. All of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with the truth that Jesus is holy. You know, uh, in our culture, Jesus is very, he's a good guy. He's a good teacher. Everybody thinks it. And he's part of the culture. And so we have t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy on it. And we have Jesus action figures. And there's, there's Jesus riding a Harley with his wind blowing back behind him and things like that. But I'm telling you, the Jesus I saw in that moment, uh-uh, baby. He wasn't my homeboy. He wasn't somebody you'd want to make an action figure of. You catching my drift? He was scary. When I say holy, I don't mean Jesus revealed himself and said, I do everything right. Look how I do everything right. That makes me holy. No, I'm not talking about that kind of holy. I'm talking about the kind of holy where you're, it's a whole other thing. Jesus is this whole other person. I'm over here. And I do good, and I don't cuss, and I don't drug, and I don't drink, and I don't sex, and I preach, and I uh, uh, play in a band, and I, I got a church going on, and everything I've ever done my whole life, seeing Jesus in that light was all me, me, me. I felt so small, so insignificant. Are you sure you want to go where that Jesus is going? That was the question that was put to me. And I'll be honest, I wasn't. Went home to my wife, my poor wife. I'm all wild-eyed. And <laughs> She's all like, <laughs> thinking I'm going to have to put me in a rubber room or something. <laughs> because this Holy, holy, whole other Jesus. Not a homeboy Jesus. Not my buddy. Nothing less than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Kind of like the Jesus that's described here in John 1. Verse 1 where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him 
was life. Not a me, me, me kind of life. Nothing less than the God kind of life. The abundant life. Not a, I'm happy, I found the last pudding pop in the freezer. No, nothing less than an elevated life. A whole other life. A whole other plane of joy and peace and strength and power and forgiveness and mercy and grace. I want that life. I'm not going to get it just being a Christian. I'm not going to get that kind of life trying to get this holy Jesus in on my program. No, no. That isn't the way it works. I'm only going to get that life when I go ahead and kick my program to the curb. And I go where he's going. And I stay where he's staying. And his interests become my interests. His joys become that which bring me joy. His sadness brings me sadness. So, we're getting ready to worship. Band, if you want to come up. You're getting ready to worship. However you perceive him in this moment, you're getting ready to worship nothing thing less than the king of kings and the lord of lords the holy 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 jesus christ but before we do that i thought we might pray together if you're visiting with us i you know this might be a little weird for you okay but can we just all stand up and we've never done this here at South. I wonder if, if I could just prevail on you. Can we just hold hands across the aisle? For, if you're visiting, I know this is weird. It's okay. Let's pray. Let's pray that when we worship Jesus today, he'll show up and tell us who he really is.